without any more introduction, I just want to invite Scott up here, and he will share with you tonight. Thanks for that. I really love the sympathy you gave me on the long drive. Could you do that again? The ah, ah, thank you so much. I really needed that. Five hours, good grief. I remember, uh, it's actually, we're just finishing our ninth year in New Zealand, and I was born and raised in the Silver Spring, Maryland area. Um, so I'm very well familiar with the traffic. Uh, although when I was a kid, there wasn't any of that traffic. So. But nine years ago, ten years ago, I remember it was like a week before we were going to fly to New Zealand. And I'm sitting in that gridlock in Washington, D.C., sucking in the hydrocarbons, you know, and just thinking one week, just one week, and my only traffic jam will be sheep. <laughs> and that's what it is. You know, I, we're in New Zealand where we live. Uh, actually, it's 3.5 human beings per square mile and about four and a half million sheep per square mile. <laughs> so the only reason we ever stop for anything on the streets is because sheep are crossing the road, which could be a 20-minute 20 20 minute wait. But that's no hydrocarbons, just other noxious fumes. So anyway, it's so good to be back with you. Um, and congratulations on your new digs. This is a beautiful new building, very uh, Hamisha. Do you know that word? It's a good Yiddish word. Everybody say Hamisha. Hamisha is a great word. It means really warm and welcoming. And you know how you walk into some places and you just feel like you're at home? That's a Hamisha place. And that's what this is. Um, now, you know, I was just going to give an update on our work in New Zealand, but I see so many new faces that uh, I'm going to give a little bit more background. So it's good this is the longest day because this will be the longest message. Uh, <laughs> no, actually it won't be. It'll, it, we'll, we'll keep it in the right time, but um, I'm glad to see so many new faces here and um, your brand new, beautiful facility. Now, can we turn these lights lower? Is that possible? You know, I, I, I'm Jewish, so I believe in the Sabbath, so if the lights go down and you need to take a nap, that's fine. <laughs> I heard a very interesting st statistic that they said if, if you take all the men who fall asleep during church services and lay them end-to-end -end on the floor, they'd be much more comfortable. <laughs> anyway. We'll uh, maybe dim the lights. Or do we not need that? Do we not need that? We have enough. Uh, oh, that's good. There you go. Now it feels like an Italian restaurant. Good. <laughs> so let's see if this works. It does. Um, I represent Celebrate Messiah New Zealand, which is the New Zealand branch of a very large organization called Chosen People Global Ministries. Uh, we're in a lot of countries, about 19 countries around the world, wherever Jewish people are found. I'm Jewish. My work is to reach out to my people. I've been doing this for just under 30 years, and it's a real joy. Um, the two verses you see there are verses which really kind of compel us in our work. Uh, Romans 10.1, you may be familiar with that one, where Paul, the rabbi and apostle, says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, I know this church well enough to know that that kind of heartbeat pulses in you as well. And I'm so grateful for your prayers for the Jewish people, for your witness to us as Jews. That other verse is a little bit more gnarly. Most people only quote the first half of it because the second half is a little confusing. Uh, that's, does anybody remember Romans 1.16? It says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And most people stop right there because the rest of the verse is kind of weird, you have to admit. I, I was just into a, in a Christian home in New Zealand, and you know, they can, you, know, you, you know you can put verses on the wall now. You can get stencil verses, which is cool, isn't it? So there it is, Romans 1.16, not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, dot, dot, dot. They left out the last half, and I don't blame them. I honestly don't. Because the last, last half says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Now, that's kind of a tough one, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it sound sort of as though God is preferring the Jewish people over the Gentiles? But we know that God is no preferrer of people. He loves all of us the same. So what is this talking about? Many say it's um, historical. Many would say that, you know, 
It was to the Jew first, but it is no longer to the Jew first. And there's some truth to that, if you think about it. I mean, remember, the Jewish disciples of Jesus, they were told to go to none other but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was exclusively a Jewish message at its first. There were no Jewish... All the first believers were Jews. Nobody ever heard of Gentiles for Jesus. <laughs> they were all Jews for Jesus. And then uh, around Acts chapter 10, you guys started coming in, and then you started coming in by the truckload, okay, until we get to 2017, where most Christians in the body of Christ are non-Jews, are Gentiles. But this verse isn't talking about an historical hmm, point of view. See, if the gospel was to the Jew first and is no longer to the Jew first, then we would also have to say from that verse that the gospel was the power of God to salvation, but is no longer the power of God to salvation. Would you say that's true? Of course not. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation in every age, and the gospel is to the Jew first in every age. So we're back to square one. What does this mean, to the Jew first and also to the Greek? I can tell you it's very simple. It's to the Jew first because we Jews are more spiritual, smarter, and better looking than you Gentiles. <laughs> You'll just have to deal with that. I'm sorry. No, I'm glad you're laughing because that's ridiculous. And, there, and the reason I'm making fun of it is because it's absurd to think that God prefers Jews over Gentiles. It just so happens that this, if you will, evangelistic priority, not preference, but priority exists because Jews are the vehicle through which God is bringing blessings to the whole world. The only reason we Jews exist is because God so loves the Jews. That's it. We are here for the nations. And if you think about it, the greatest blessings that have ever come to planet Earth have come through the Jewish people. Uh, your Bible has come through Jews. The uh, Savior has come through the Jewish people. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus said it in John chapter 4. In days to come, we're going to see global revival happening through a Jewish remnant on the earth, 144,000 Jewish male virgins turning a very upside-down world right side up. Pretty amazing, huh? The return of Jesus will actually be triggered by a Jewish salvation. It just so happens that Jews exist for the good of the nations. He said it all the way back in Genesis 12 that through the Jewish people, through the, the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That speaks of the nations. And so one of the reasons I'm a missionary to the Jewish people isn't just because I'm Jewish. In fact, the greater reason is because I'm a missionary, I'm a strategist. My desire is to see global revival. And therefore, it just so happens that God's plan involves a priority of Jewish evangelism and Jewish salvation. So that's why we do what we do. Now, as I mentioned, we're in uh, actually 19 countries now, which is great because we get to network with people from all over the world. I'll tell you later why that's important. Now, <laughs> that's a picture of my first date with Margie Dudley. She was 16 years old. I was much older and wiser, 16 and a half. This is our first date on a 1969 BMW R75-5, R60-5, actually. First date. Now, why am I showing you that? Because I married this woman, and uh, this is my first love and my last love in terms of uh, women on the earth. And uh, I, I adore her. We've been hanging around together for about 46 years. And uh, every five years, oh, thank you. Don't get me crying, because I'm desperately in love with this girl. But uh, every five years, because our first date was on a motorcycle, we would take a big motorcycle trip. So our 30th wedding anniversary showed up uh, in 2007, and uh, I said, where are we going to go? And she said, New Zealand. I said, where's that? She said, I don't know, but hopefully the, the jet pilot will know. <laughs> so off we go to New Zealand. Now, at that time, I was the pastor of a Messianic congregation in Greater Washington, and uh, this was a congregation which, where many Jewish people heard the gospel. Many were saved and became disciples of Jesus. 
very exciting ministry. We grew to about 300 people. Uh, we planted several other congregations around Northern Virginia and also in other parts of the world. But um, it was at that time we took a, a motorcycle trip to New Zealand, and I was shocked to discover the opportunities for the gospel there, not only among international backpackers, but also among Jewish people. So there is Margie and me, and uh, we are, most of our ministry is right there in the South Island. That red arrow makes reference to uh, our campground, and those red circles that you see basically highlight the major center for extreme sports and backpacking in New Zealand, which is where most of our ministry happens. Now, I only, the only reason I put this is because there's a shocking neglect of, <laughs> of understanding of where New Zealand is. It was actually in Virginia just last year. In two 7-Elevens, I was told by two different people that New Zealand is attached to Canada. <laughs> so I decided it's time for a little geography lesson. Uh, I've also been told it's, it's somewhere near Uganda uh, and possibly West Virginia. I, I'm dead serious. This is what people have actually told me. So I, just in case you don't know, it's sort of nestled between the South Pacific and the Tasman Seas, about 1,500 miles southeast of Australia. We are way down under. The next stop beyond us is a Antarctica. So when I say down under, I mean down under. And by the way, today is the shortest day in, on our calendar. Uh, the sun will go bloop, just like that. It's mostly dark. Now... The island where I live has 1.2 million residents, the South Island, but 2.4, exactly twice the number of international backpackers come to our island every single year. Now think about that. Two and a half million young people. Now, the people who are coming are, to me, the most fascinating people on the planet. They're basically millennials. You know, they're kind of between age 18 and 25, right in that, in that category. They're cool people. They're very well-educated. They're typically very spiritual. They're seeking. Uh, they're asking life's most important questions. And because they're, the reason they're coming to New Zealand is because this is their big trip. This is probably their once-in-a-lifetime trip. And in a once-in-a-lifetime trip, you're typically kind of between chapters in life. You're generally coming from a, uh, a part of your, of your life and moving toward another part of your life uh, where you're asking a lot of important questions about life itself. Uh, they come for a lot of reasons. Uh, you can jump off of big rubber bands in New Zealand. You can jump out of planes. There's always, of course, uh, executive toilet racing. <laughs> now, that actually has nothing to do with New Zealand, but I found it on the web and I had to put it in somewhere. <laughs> because when you see men with ties on toilets, you know, you got to use it, right? <laughs> Um, but the main reason they come is the wow factor. Guys, I am formally begging you to come visit me in New Zealand. Okay? Did you get that? And by the way, I'm really happy to see a lot of young adults here tonight because I'm going to have a special invitation for you for a short-term mission, and I'll explain that a little bit later. I think a couple of you are going to come to New Zealand. I'm pretty sure of it. The reason most people come is the wow factor, and I mean wow. We are Middle Earth. We are, you know, the land of dragons and orcs. Uh, it is an amazing, amazing place. Now, the pictures I'm showing you I took very casually during our motorcycle trip. Uh, you don't have to look very far to see sites like this throughout New Zealand. Now, the interesting thing is that these people, these backpackers who are traveling through New Zealand, they'll be traveling not for a week or two, they're traveling for six months, 12 months, 18 months. Some of these guys will be traveling and experiencing this kind of beauty. Now, let me tell you something, guys. When you're in this day after week after month, you cannot help but be affected by it. It's kind of like the, the creation is wooing you to discover the creator behind this beauty. You can't be untouched by it. And people who come who are dyed-in-the-wool atheists or agnostics, at the end of their travel, they're beginning to think more about the Creator, I promise you. And so what an amazing opportunity to be talking to them about the Creator of all of this beauty. Uh, it's a picture of uh, my wife on the, uh, the, it's called the World's Greatest Walk. It's called the Milford Track. It is a four-day journey through the most amazing, awe-inspiring, heart-thumping, 
beauty. New Zealand is a place where there's all kinds of unusual uh, geographical and geological anomalies. Where else in the world can you backpack through a bona fide rainforest, dripping wet rainforest, ferns and the whole thing, and step onto a glacier that's adjacent to it? That's what you're looking at right now. That's a rainforest. That's a glacier the size of Boston. These kinds of things exist in New Zealand and only in New Zealand. Now, what we're doing in New Zealand is pretty simple. It's mostly evangelism, but we're also doing equipping and training, and I'll explain what that looks like as we go through here. But most of our, of our work is outreach to these 2.4 million international backpackers and with a focus, to the Jew first, with a focus on Israelis who are coming by the thousands to New Zealand. Now, as I mentioned, um, that Blue Circle is our campground, which is our first facility where we provide free accommodation to Israelis. But also those red circles are uh, places where most, actually all, of these 2.4 million, at one point, they're going to be at, at, those, at those red circles. And so that's our epicenter of our evangelistic ministry. Um, one of the things we do is evangelistic um, backpacker barbecues. We actually don't barbecue backpackers because that's illegal. <laughs> uh, and they're also very stringy anyway. So. But we do have every single week during the warm months, which is basically the warm months start in October and end around Easter time. That's our spring, summer, early autumn. Um, every week, typically on a Sunday evening, we have a barbecue, free barbecue for backpackers. Uh, it's an amazing time. We typically do it in Wanaka. And by the way, that's a picture of Wanaka. Now, that's an untouched picture of Wanaka. When I tell you this is Middle Earth, I mean Middle Earth. This is the kind of beauty you'll experience when you come, not if, when you come to New Zealand. So Wanaka is a favorite place for backpackers. So we, we have weekly barbecues there. Uh, we set it up right on the beach. We set up a huge resource table that has books and Bibles and CDs and DVDs. Uh, these are backpacker uh, Bibles, which contain uh, color-glossy pages that tell testimonies of uh, backpackers who found the Lord during their travels. Uh, we have the Brich Hadashah, which is the New Testament in Hebrew. We have books for seekers and skeptics. This one's uh, a book about questions that skeptics ask. All kinds of materials. So we set up this huge resource table. We set up the barbecue. Um, and we also, in all of the backpacker facilities, they're called backpackers, they're not hostels. We put up a sign on Saturday night, typically, that says, free barbecue. Now, you need to understand something. Free and food are two words that are not married very often in, in New Zealand. New Zealand is very expensive. A, a gallon of gas is $7.50. Uh, I saw a, cantal, uh, a cauliflower for $13 the other day. Uh, a green pepper is about $4. I mean, a hamburger starts at $12. It's very expensive. Free food for people who are starving? Backpackers? This is a very good draw. Now, we also have on the poster free barbecue. And by the way, during the barbecue, someone will share about his life-changing encounter with God or something like that, where we give them an indication that this is a spiritual event. Well, <laughs> I love this picture. At 5.30, they start coming. Now, backpackers travel in packs like wolves. None of them believe that we actually have free food. They don't believe it. So they send a scout <laughs> to go and check it out, okay? And so this is, you can see this, see this guy back here? He's, he's texting right now. Hurry! <laughs> it's true! It's free burgers! Quick, get everybody down here! And, and then the masses come down the hill to the barbecue. It's really cute. So it's just a great event every week. Uh, again, this is just one of many things we do in terms of our outreach. Uh, it's always a very, it's a beautiful place, and no one's in a hurry. Everybody's on holiday. Um, people begin to, uh, they get their food, and they sit down on the lawn, and they just start making new friends. By the way, backpackers, it's part of their culture to be constantly asking about your story. Tell me about you. And so the opportunity to share the gospel, to tell your testimony, is unlike anything you've ever experienced. Everybody you meet is wanting to hear your story. Just like every day at work, right? Every day at school, huh? 
No, but that's every day in my life in New Zealand. It's quite wonderful. Guys, sitting on this lawn are millennials from 24 countries. For $60 US, I can share the gospel every week with 24 nations. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good bang for the buck. And the privilege that is mine to be able to share good news of Jesus Christ with emissaries, basically, from, you know, 15, 20, 25 nations is unspeakable. And remember, these aren't just anybody. These are the, these are the leaders of the emerging generation. These are the change makers. These are the catalysts. These are the, this is the new generation of change makers. And if I could share with anybody in the world, it would be these guys and these gals. At some point during the uh, barbecue, I'll stand up and share a, a very short, maybe seven-minute little presentation. Uh, the first time I did this, I thought, oh, dummy. I did this all wrong. I gave them the food first, and now I'm going to do the God talk? Oh, that was dumb. You know, as soon as they hear God, they're all going to leave. Folks, we've been doing this for nine years. Nine years. Every week during this, the warm months. And never once, never once has anybody ever left during the God talk. In fact, our biggest problem every single week is getting rid of them. <laughs> they don't want to leave. And interestingly, they're listening. I mean, you can see there's just a couple of pictures of, of, of the group. You know, they're, and you can see they're, they're actually listening. And, and it actually kind of shocked me. The first few times I did this, I thought, I'm, I'm not such a flash speaker, and it, it's not such a, 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 an amazing message, except for the fact that it's the gospel. But you know what? I think it is because they've heard, these guys have heard every kind of vain, vaporous, superficial philosophy and religion of man. They've heard it all. They've heard about Martians seeding the planet. They've heard about you emerging from green slime. They've heard it all. And now they're hearing simple words of the love of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the Spirit is touching them. In fact, I know it is. After the, uh, the little talk, I'll say something like, well, guys, you know, I've, I've given you free food for your body. Here's some free food for your soul. Over on this table, check it out. There's stuff that is going to, I promise you, relate to anything you're going through right now. It is wisdom from the heart of God himself. Check it out. You know what they do? They check it out. They go over to the book table, and you can see they're not going, oh, Bibles, never mind, got my burger, see ya. No. Some of these guys have never handled a Bible in their whole life. And they'll be hanging there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, sometimes 30, 40 minutes. Sometimes they'll begin to cry a little bit. They might step away and just start reading under a tree in the shade. It's amazing. In this kind of environment, conversation comes very easily. This couple prayed with me just after this picture was taken. Oh, I love this picture. Uh, I have seven kids, and uh, four of my seven kids came with us to New Zealand. And my youngest is a uh, gal named Hallie. And uh, she was only nine or ten years old when we arrived in New Zealand, and she loved the barbecues. She and I would walk hand in hand uh, on the shores of Lake Wanaka, where we do this barbecue, and you know, inviting backpackers, come on down, there's a barbecue down here, free barbecue, come on. And uh, we're walking, and suddenly Hallie says, hey, Dad, look up. And we're under this huge willow tree. You'll see it when you come. And we looked up, and these three girls were up in the tree. And I said, girls, come on down, we got this free barbecue. And they said, ma, which is Hebrew for what? These were Israelis. See, our ministry is getting Jews out of trees in New Zealand. It's <laughs> The harvest is rich, you know. <laughs> anyway, these three girls came, and they heard the gospel. They received Hebrew New Testaments. You know, folks, I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty, because I know missionaries are supposed to be having a really hard time. Would you forgive me? I'm really loving the work. <laughs> it's kind of a marriage between the Great Commission and the Great Strategy. The Great Commission to make disciples of all nations... And the great strategy, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, remember he said to his disciples, I want you to start right here in Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria, and then where? To New Zealand. 
Well, that is the uttermost parts of the earth because, believe it or not, where Jesus was standing in Jerusalem at that moment when he said those words in Acts 1.8, the farthest you can get from that place is Wellington, New Zealand. And so, folks, we're at the ends of the earth making disciples of all nations, and I couldn't be more thankful. Now, here's the great part for me. Not only are we having a chance to touch the lives of thousands of the millions who come from all over the world, we're having thousands of young Israelis every single year coming to New Zealand as well. It's called by some sociologists the Israeli backpacker phenomenon. They're writing papers and books about it because Israelis are coming to New Zealand after their army service. Here's the deal. In Israel, it is mandatory for all young men and women to serve in the military. For young women, two, two and a half years. For young men, three, three and a half years. Uh, my son just finished his three-year military service in Israel. He's a, a resident of Jerusalem. Now, after they have their three years of military service, they do their big overseas adventure. They get a little stipend from the government, and they do their big trip. Now, those who have a little bit extra money come to New Zealand because this is the most expensive trip, but it's the most desired trip. Now, the cool thing is that Israelis sometimes go to Goa or Thailand or all over the world, South America. Most of them, to be perfectly honest with you, are kind of going on a drug trip, you know, just to experiment with a lot of things that aren't necessarily healthy. But the ones who are coming to New Zealand are not in that category. They're typically um, more educated. They're... Um, more philosophical in terms of their, their wiring. And they're, they're, they're really there for the, the hikes and the extreme sports as opposed to some sort of a drug thing. So it's a great benefit to us to be interacting with thousands of young Israelis who are actually listening to us. You know, I, heard, I have a missionary friend in Israel, and she said, Israelis go to India um, for drugs, and they go to New Zealand for God. And we're finding that to be true. The other side of this amazing Israeli backpacker phenomenon coin is that not only are we having thousands of Israelis coming to New Zealand, but we also have, get this, about 650 Christian households peppered all around New Zealand who are opening their homes to Israeli visitors. Now, if you ask them, why are you doing this? They'll kind of, they'll look at you with a sparkle in their eye and they'll throw up their arms and they'll say, you know, I don't know. It's just our way of giving back to the people who gave us everything. We got our salvation. We got our Bibles. We got our Jesus from the, the Jewish people. This is our way of saying thank you. And this is an amazing group of people, 650 families. Now, when I say they're hosting, I don't mean just casually. How many, how many guests have you had in your home in the last year? Ten guests, that's, that's high. For, that's a very high for American uh, uh, guest keeping, okay? How about you? How many, how many guests in the last five years? Stay overnight guests, yeah. You're so nicely dressed, I felt safe asking you. One bedroom, okay. Don't go to her house, okay? Only one bedroom. <laughs> but no, I get it. Some of these hosts... Well, let me, let me give you an example. There's a, there's a woman in Amaru, New Zealand, very near our campground, who in the last seven years has hosted 6,500 Israelis. She also has one bedroom. But she's in love. Sorry. You don't have to. I'm not going to send Israelis to your house. Don't you worry about that. But the point is these people are, these people are this is their ministry. This is how they see themselves. This is the reason they exist, many of them, is to share the good news with Jewish guests in their home. Now, here's the thing. These are wonderful people, amazing, vibrant Christians, but for the most part, they don't know really how to share with Jewish people because they really haven't met many Jewish people. And so what we're doing is we're going around the country, giving away free Hebrew literature, free Hebrew Bibles, free seminars to teach them how to share the good news of Jesus from the Hebrew Scriptures, and making them um, much more competent and confident in Jewish evangelism. It's exactly what Paul did in Romans 11, 13, and 14. Now, who can remember what Paul said 
about you Gentiles provoking somebody. Does anybody remember? In Romans 11, verse 11, he told an amazing commission to you guys, presuming most or all of you are Gentiles. Does anybody remember that one? Provoke them to jealousy, okay? Paul said this very interesting dynamic that Israel rejected the gospel. The gospel ricocheted from the Jews to the Gentiles. Gentiles became, became saved. Why? To provoke us Jews to jealousy. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a commission to provoke us Jews to jealousy. By the way, for the last 10 years, I've offered a $10,000 reward to anyone who can find one of me, a Jewish believer in Jesus, who doesn't have one of you in their story. My money is safe. My money is safe. Because you won't find Jewish believers who haven't in some way brushed up against a provocative you. And so please, don't you dare tell me that you're not qualified. According to God's word, you are more qualified than I to share with my people. So what we're doing is what Paul did. Understanding this principle in verse 13 and 14, he said, oh, I get it. Okay, Gentiles are provoking us Jews to jealousy. In that case, I'll enlarge my ministry to include the Gentiles if, if by any means I may provoke to emulation those who are my flesh, Jewish people. That's what we're doing in New Zealand. We're enlarging the ministry among these 600-plus families to make them effective in their provocative ministry to Israelis. Isn't that cool? Now, one of the great shockers is that we have had now over 2,000 Israelis at our campground. Now, Marge and I have a campground in the Wap Waps of central South Island. By the way, South Island is the wild part of New Zealand. Where our campground is, is the wild, wild, wild part of wild South Island. Here's a picture of it. So when you visit us, and by the way, I'm going to ask some of you young people age 17 to 20-something to come work with us at the campground, all right, this summer, which is your winter, or possibly next winter. I need you there. I need you to be start praying about that. Anyway... Obviously, we are not on the beaten path, okay? The backpackers take, you know, they, they follow the highways and byways. We are not highways or byways. We're at the end of the, of the line. So it's a shocker that we've had 2,000 Israelis come to our camp. I mean, you know what happens, you know, when, when Jews go into the wilderness. They get lost for like 40 years at a time. <laughs> we never figured they'd find us, right? So, so it's pretty cool. 2,000. And when they come to our camp, they don't come for a night or two. They come for a week or two. Some of them come for a month. They meet for the first time a Jewish guy who believes in Jesus. They're, li they're living with us. They're working with us. They're, uh, uh, they're serving with us around the camp. They're just hanging out, and we're talking about, well, to give you an example. One night last summer, I couldn't get my work done cleaning the toilets and the showers, you know, at the campground. Why? Because I had all these Israelis badgering me to talk about Jesus, God, and the Bible. What a problem to have, huh? Folks, I've never, ever seen opportunities like this for Jewish evangelism anywhere in the world. We've had Israeli missionaries come to New Zealand, see what we're doing, scratching their heads saying, we don't have these opportunities in Israel. And the reason being, well, you tell me, why do you think we have more opportunities in New Zealand than on the streets of Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? You tell me, why? It's, did you say remote? What does that have to do with it? You're right. Because we don't have a hustle and bustle of daily life. We can actually do things. Exactly. So no hustle and bustle of daily life, but there's more. Anybody else? They're coming to you. They're coming to me. Yeah, they're kind of interested. But see, the thing is, in Israel, there's the, the yoke of bondage of synagogue and family and tradition. And, you know, they, they can't, they're not going to stand in the street and read the, the New Testament. They'll be rejected by all their friends and family. In New Zealand, they are free to investigate entirely. And so, wow. For Jewish evangelism, there's, there's just no better place, in my opinion. I could show you pictures of Jewish people who've come to our camp. These are just some of the 2,000 I could, you know, show you for hours, pictures. But these are just some of the beautiful people who visit us. I love this picture. Can anybody read Hebrew here? Anybody? Um, these two girls were staying with us. We always have Israelis at our camp. 
And uh, these two were with us on a Friday night. What happens on Friday night? Shabbat, exactly. So they said, hey, could we make the challah? Could we make the, the ceremonial bread for Shabbat? And I said, sure. They come in with the bread, which is shaped exactly like the words Shabbat Shalom, which means Sabbath peace. Isn't that cute? Speaking of cute, <laughs> this is my Israeli co-worker, Zohar Gonen. He's a Ukrainian-born Israeli, speaks four languages fluently, amazing evangelist, a powerful evangelist. But not only that, he makes the world's best hummus. Now, it's not hummus. I want you to repeat after me. Hummus. You got to spit just a little bit. Hummus. All right, come on, you'll be the first in Midlothian who knows how to say it. Now, Israelis live on hummus. And when they, you can stop spitting now. When they leave Israel, they are slowly dying without hummus, okay? Every day they're just dying a little bit more. Now, Zohar makes killer hummus. So what we do is we go on the Israeli Facebook page, Israeli New Zealand Facebook page, and say, hey guys, we're having a hummus night. Come on out. And, and they do. We, this is a hummus night with 40 Israelis <laughs> packed into this house. Now look at this picture. This is so good. See that? That's, that's Zohar. Right there. Zohar is preaching Jesus from the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, in Hebrew to Israelis. How often do you think you'll see that? Isn't that amazing? So we do this every Tuesday night, um, and uh, it's very fruitful. Now, is it true that I have five minutes left? I have a few more minutes? Okay. Okay, well, we should be out by 10. So um, our dream was always to have a ministry center in or near Wanaka. Wanaka is the Israeli enclave. Wanaka is the place where Israelis want to be. When they discover Wanaka, they, they just settle in for weeks at a time. So to have a ministry center there would have been really wonderful. The problem is Wanaka, as you would guess, is also one of the highest priced you know, housing markets in all of New Zealand. A shed starts at half a million in, New in, in Wanaka. So we don't have any money. We're just a teeny little ministry there. Um, but that was our dream, and this is what we were asking God for. The dream was to have an Israeli hostel, an Israeli backpacker, uh, specifically designed for Israeli, staffed by born-again Israelis. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Staffed by born-again Israelis, Jewish-oriented Bible studies, a ministry center for our weekly barbecues. It would be so great. So we prayed, and God gave us a ski lodge. Now, I know that sounds pious and religious, but I don't know of any other way to tell you. He gave us a ski lodge. <laughs> I'm still pinching myself over this. It doesn't make any sense, except to say that um, this thing came on, on the market. It was perfect, exactly where we wanted, exactly the right side, perfect. And when I went to the cellar, which was a, a very wealthy club of older skiers who now got much older and couldn't ski anymore, and they needed to sell this place. When, when I came and said, look, you know, here's, here's who we are, and we're interested in your building, they said, how much do you have? We said, nothing. They said, goodbye. You know, it's not interested in you. It went from that, I mean, dead in the water, to us owning it. Now, we never went around and said to all of our constituents, please give us money. We've got this amazing opportunity. I didn't send out pledge cards. I didn't, I didn't beg major donors to give gifts. I prayed, and I asked 40 people to pray whether or not we should own this building. I never asked for a dime. Within five weeks, approximately a million dollars came in to begin to purchase this. Money we did not ask for. Let me say that again. This is money we did not ask for. It is so humbling and so remarkable and why is it remarkable? It's remarkable because we have the confidence of knowing God was behind this and we didn't manipulate it. Now, this is two years ago. We've had our second season. Uh, it is the Zula Lodge. Uh, Zula uh, is a Hebrew word, which means a space where friends come together who are very close. So, Tim, when you go to Israel and somebody says, Tim, come to my Zula on Friday night, take that as a huge compliment because what they're saying is, I consider you my buddy. 
I want you to hang out with us. It's just a space. It could be, the Zula could be in that corner, it could be in your car, it could be anywhere. This is the Zula Lodge, where friends come together. It's a very quaint, but very clean and well-built structure. So it's got these sort of dorm rooms and uh, some family rooms as well. Uh, it has a very nice, uh, huge kitchen and big dining room. Uh, this is just one corner of a very big, spacious lounge. It is Hamisha. Hamisha, you know that word, right? Okay, very, very warm and welcoming. Um, Matan and Karen are a couple who changed their wedding date. These are Jewish believers, Israeli believers in Jesus, powerful missionaries, who changed their wedding date so they could come and minister at the Zula Lodge. They spent their honeymoon for six months serving day and night at the Zula Lodge, sharing the gospel with our Israeli guests our first year. Every Shabbat, Friday night, we'd have up to 60 Israelis in attendance. In fact, we would turn down about 100 who wanted to come, but we didn't have room for them. This is a Shabbat service. Every Friday night, we have a Shabbat service where we share the gospel about the Lord of the Sabbath, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. It's a lot of fun at the Zula Lodge. Uh, it's extremely popular. Uh, right now, Israelis who never book for anything are booking five weeks in advance for the Zula Lodge because it's that popular. They know that if they don't get advanced booking, they're not going to get in. Now, remember, we're giving free accommodation. We're losing money hand over fist, which is one of the reasons I'm in the United States, <laughs> is to try to raise money for projects like this. Folks, it's a great investment. It's an amazing investment. Now, are we losing money? Absolutely. But we are gaining the opportunity to share the gospel with literally thousands of young Israelis. Thousands. Last summer, 1,300 personal evangelistic encounters with young Israelis. And I don't mean handing them a track. I'm talking face-to-face, heart-to-heart, sometimes days-long sharing of our faith. This is a common scene at the Zula Lodge. There's Matan sharing with an Israeli with the Bible and, of course, open laptop. This is Karen, his wife. She's an incredible fireball. She's just a magnet. Uh, everyone loves her, and she is effervescent in her devotion toward Yeshua, Jesus, sharing with three Israelis right here. Uh, of course, we have Messianic Passover seders and other kinds of biblical feasts there. Um, but these are, the, these are the golden moments when you're sharing one-to-one with Israelis. And this goes on all day and all night. On a Friday night, typically, the conversations end around 4 a.m. Israelis start drinking coffee, strong coffee, at about midnight. So we have two shifts of missionaries now, uh, some who can sleep while others are sharing their faith. This is Matan duking it out with an atheistic Israeli who, interestingly, oops, interestingly, is wearing... A, uh, a head covering. <laughs> Don't ask me why. This is some of our staff. We have staff from Hong Kong, from Denmark, from the States, but most excitingly from Israel as well every year. And we need you to help us if you are a young adult. Here's a typical picture of a Shabbat meal at the Zula. Now, this is our third facility. We're winding it down. The Yellow House. Anybody want to guess why it's called the Yellow House? We are so creative, aren't we? The Yellow House. We have the campground, we have the Zula Lodge, and now we have the Yellow House, which is managed by Zohar, the Ukrainian-Israeli I introduced to you. And uh, we tested this last year, and it was such an overwhelming success that we are now renting it every year for free accommodation for Israelis. So now we have three strategic locations in three different accommodations. Here's uh, some typical pictures of... Uh, Days at the Zula, or excuse me, at the Yellow House. There's Zohar right there. And people just hanging out, um, having a great time every day, and talking about spiritual issues, typically. These are two missionaries who uh, we have just hired, uh, Teresa and Michael Th- Thomas. Teresa is an amazing singer, songwriter, musician. Uh, she is a worship leader. She's also a, a wonderful evangelist. She is going to come and be ministering primarily to the 650 Christian households who need free literature, they need encouragement, they need prayer. Many of these people are are just sort of out there alone. They need encouragement. 
She's also going to be, Teresa is going to be leading concerts of prayer throughout New Zealand for our ministry and for other ministries throughout the country. Uh, these are typical of the hosts who, um, host Israelis who Teresa will be ministering to. These are the shishkas. Their uh, email address is shishkabab. Um, they've had over 8,000 Israelis in their home. These are Chris and Margaret Herod. The Herods built a home with a wing just for Israeli guests. When I say that these guys are committed, I mean committed. When you drive into their farm, which is called En Gedi, you'll see a, a, a Hebrew, uh, an Israeli flag and a New Zealand flag flying side by side. You can imagine the impact these guys make. Lastly, as an update, we are opening, by the grace of God, uh, a Bible school. It'll be a brand new Bible school in Auckland, so you can send your, uh, your person. Um, Issachar, who can tell me about the sons of Issachar? Anybody remember? What's true about the sons of Issachar? They... You remember, don't you? It's on the tip of your cerebellum. They understood the times, and they knew what Israel needed to do. And guys, ladies, that's what we need right now. We need men and women who understand the times. These are the times of the signs, aren't they? And uh, we know what to, we need to do. Now, the reason we're starting a Bible school is because there's a big problem of, in New Zealand of um, the emergent church movement and also a problem of allegorical, figurative um, Bible interpretation and hermeneutics. Very, very few Bible schools and very few churches teach a literal historical Hebraic hermeneutic, looking at the Bible as a literal historical document, as opposed to using it as a horoscope. And so we are opening this college, this Bible school, as a way of digging in and providing a source for young students to learn how to properly interpret God's Word. We really need your prayer for that. Um, it's a big venture. Again, we're a very small community of workers, and this is a big venture. Uh, that is not David and Goliath, uh, and I'm not standing in a hole. I'm just that short, and he's that tall. This is Peter Whitcomb, who is on our board, and he will be um, chairing uh, Issachar Bible School. He's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. Uh, I'm ending with this because it's such a wonderful moment. This couple was actually at our campground, and we were talking. We were in the lounge at the campground, and the young lady, uh, her name was Rotem, and she said, Scott, I, I love God, but I hate religion, and I just don't know where to find God. She said those words to me. I started crying, and I said, Rotem, just hold on a minute. And I ran into my house and got a Hebrew Bible, and I ran back, and I opened it up to Jeremiah 29, Verse 11, no hallmark did not write those verses. God wrote them. And you're seeing them. They're actually reading these verses, these words right now. I said, Chotem, this is for you. This was written by God for you, for Israel. And you will seek me and find me when? When you search for me with all your heart, I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I was so overwhelmed, I, I had to leave. I came back about an hour later. They were still leafing through the Bible. They'd never handled a Hebrew Bible before. These are the moments that we crave. There are all kinds of moments like this. We were sharing at a Shabbat at the, at the Zula Lodge, and uh, Boaz suddenly showed up missing. We couldn't find Boaz anywhere. So we're going all over the place looking for him, and we, we went into the men's room, and we saw his, his sandals <laughs> in the men's, um, what, what do you call it, stall, they have different words for these in New Zealand, so I'm, I'm struggling. So you know what he did? He, he locked himself in the stall and downloaded a testimony of an Israeli believer in Jesus because he had just heard the gospel and wanted to hear more, but he was afraid to do it among his friends. These are great moments. Uh, there's uh, Rotem, uh, a guy who uh, came to our camp, and he's uh, 29 years old. He's uh, in med school, brilliant young man. He heard the gospel at our camp. He took me aside after uh, two days with us, and he, with tears in his eyes, he said, he said, Scott, I know something's wrong in my heart, and I think Yeshua is the answer. Tears in his eyes. These kinds of moments are moments we have all the time in New Zealand. We could never have them in, in Israel. 
Thank God for this ministry. Please pray for us. We're thankful for dogs praying for us, but we could use a few more humans. Um, that little slip that you were given is full of really good propaganda, I mean, information. Uh, there's a slip on that where you can fill that out if you're interested in praying for us or receiving our monthly newsletter. Uh, if you'd like to invest, folks, the great thing about this little ministry is we don't have big administrative costs. All of the money that you would invest goes directly toward barbecues, Bibles, facilities, missionaries. It's entirely used for the work of evangelism and disciple-making. So it's a good investment. Uh, you can use that little slip um, as a way of keeping in touch. Just let, it, let us know. If you'd like to give tonight, thank you. You can notate your amount and be receipted for that amount. It's all tax-deductible. But most of all, we need prayer warriors because obviously there's a lot of spiritual warfare uh, in this ministry, which has become so effective among Israelis in New Zealand. Now, the internship program, I will close with this. Um, we offer anywhere from one to five months of internship for young adults aged typically 16 to 25. We're, we're flexible. But you would be coming, you'd be living with us, working with us, you would be serving with us, doing ministries, barbecues, cleaning toilets and showers, whatever it takes. But we would also be thinking about your spiritual growth and be along with you um, trying to uh, reach your spiritual objectives, whatever it may be. We've had 44 to date. It's been an amazing experience. We'd love to have you. So talk to me if you want to consider this. And of course, we always have the garlic bagel, bagel you know, <laughs> setting in the western sky. It's a Jewish ministry. You know, you got to do something with a bagel. Folks, thank you so much for your attention. I know we've gone a little long, but God bless you and uh, grateful for your interest. Perhaps you could just pray with me uh, for a moment. Avinu Vamalkenu, our Father and our King. So grateful for these brothers and sisters and their enthusiasm for the gospel. You have set them as lights and salt in a very dark and flavorless world. And I pray that this church, Calvary Chapel of Richmond, will be very, very salty and uh, receiving the people you are calling into the kingdom. I also ask that they will be a force for Israel's salvation. Whether we be an arm for them among Israelis and others in New Zealand or whether uh, they just in their day-to-day -day among Jewish neighbors and friends and maybe relatives, please make them provocative. Provoke them to Yeshua through the life of Christ resident in them. I ask in Jesus' name.